Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Backstreet GM Podcast. I'm Ben Rauman. Well, I'm Zach Spurduti. How you doing, Zach? Ah, oh, Ben, um, doing okay. Got a, lot of, got a lot of work done this week, signed a lot of projects, good positive feedback. So my um, mental health and satisfaction with how I am in the world is directly tied to someone giving me positive feedback on my job. So, um, it's good. That, that That's good to hear. Um. Thanks, man. Oh, is this a basketball podcast? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, basketball? Hey, watch the Rockets tonight. Beat the Pistons. Got a lot of young – I feel like on the Rockets, we got a lot of guys who won't be here next year or even two years from now. And they're just trying to get some – Trying to get some contracts going, trying to trying to increase their value. Like, what's interesting is most of, most of the times you see a guard like Sterling Brown, or a wing player like Sterling Brown, or or David Naba, or a center like Sterling Brown. You basically named all the positions in the NBA. <laughs> basically, these smaller sized guys usually, when they you know in prior years in the Rockets' offense, you get the ball, you kick it out. Well, they're putting it back up. They want to get their points up. But, and I don't, I don't mind it. We got a bunch of scrappy guys, and um, got Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter, yeah, yeah. We got Kevin Porter Jr. So um, that's what I meant. <laughs> I wish we had Michael Porter Jr. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Rockets are I was snapped a three-game losing streak, and um, I don't like how Eric Gordon's handling the ball as much. Like I, I wish it was it was Oladipo. Like Eric Gordon was handling the ball in the last three possessions. Let's uh, give it to the guy who's been there before. So, uh, yeah. Rockets are doing okay, even though we're 13th in the West. Yeah, apologize on that uh, Porter Jr. Or at least you don't have the Otto Porter Jr. I would not have my Otto Porter Jr. He's a baby Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ben, how's how's it in the land, the wild, wild wilderness of Wisconsin? Ah, well, the Bucks have dropped two in a row to the Nets and the Lakers, so feeling feeling strong. Uh, Packers are fine, I guess. They're they're gonna play Tom Brady and the Patriot or the sorry Buccaneers. Um, I almost said Patriots because I'm used to the Patriots being a stacked team that has it all going for them every year, carrying Tom Brady to yet another Super Bowl. But this time it's the uh, Buccaneers. Uh, so we'll see how Brady bears against you, the actual goat Aaron Rodgers for the first the, time. I, I, I don't understand why you just think you could just say that and get away with it because you have a mic in front of you. Like, there was a year where Tom Brady's leading receiver was like Austin Collie and Kimball Tompkins, and they still went to the AFC Championship game with Gronk and Elmer Hurt. I don't need to hear from you, okay? He's never had a Pro Bowl wide receiver on a Super Bowl winning team, okay? Get yeah, Randy fucking Moss. They didn't win the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, they didn't win the Super Bowl, so that means okay. he can't win a fucking Super Bowl with Randy fucking Moss, so. Oh, yeah, it was his fault the refs didn't call. Hold it! Not my goat. Oh, oh wow! Seymour! Wow, the refs totally against Tom Brady. Huh. I don't... If, if anybody is listening to this podcast right now, if anybody at all is listening to this podcast right now, go into our mailbag and tell Ben... Like, I understand why Ben thinks that Aaron Rodgers is the best player of all time. No one believes that. Best throw of the football? Sure. He's right up there with Dan Marino. Yeah, well, you know, you, know, you know what the quarterback position does, Zach? It throws the football. So if you're not best at throwing the football, I don't think you're the best uh, quarterback. Dan Marino was one of the best pure passes of all time, but no one regards him as the best quarterback of all time. 
He was no, the... maybe, maybe they should. <laughs> so it goes Aaron Rodgers one, Dan Marino two, Patrick Mahomes three, Jay Cutler on his best day four. Peyton Manning. Like, Peyton Manning was a he had a weak arm his last like eight years league. Throwing floaters to Reggie Wayne. Talk about weak arms. You're talking about Tom Brady. What? He has a very great, very solid arm. Oh, a very solid arm. Threw it 80 that's, yards. That's good to know. The, threw it 80 yards in, in the Super Bowl. And oh, really? Is yards. that the Super Bowl that he put up 13 points to win it? When no. his defense only allowed uh, three points. Where he was carried well, against the Rams when he was when he tar- I. But he targeted Edelman and Gronkowski. He was 19 of 22 for 240 yards. He went 4 for 4 on the last drive for 60 yards. He was a gamer. It's a tough defense. The Rams' defense was tough that year. I don't know what you're hating on. It's, I'd rather have that than Aaron Rodgers throw three picks in an NFC Championship game against the Seattle Seahawks. I just think it's funny how, you know, Tom Brady can put up 13 points in a Super Bowl and okay. and come out on top. He threw for 505 yards against the Eagles and put up 38 points and still lost. So what happened? Put, yeah, what happened against those Eagles? He lost. Didn't At he least lose he's a Nick fucking Foles. Oh yeah, he, he right. got there. Oh, he got there. Oh, that's that's. He's good. been waiting for Rodgers in the playoffs this whole time, so he had to finally switch conferences so that he could that, so, so that he could get his ass beat by him. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to the uh, Kevin McHale, <laughs> um, Don DeDee. Unibrow, which is a Canadian company um, that Zach and I have had before. This is a Belgian-style triple wheat ale. Um, golden in color. It's got uh, the nice triple classic taste. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if I can tell that it's like a wheat ale or not. It, it tastes like a triple to me. Get that banana. Um, Kind of the yeah, exactly. Kind of what your classic Belgian is going to taste like. Um, it's got it's a, got a cute little ship on the front. Um, I, I'd give it a a four, four point I like it. Okay. Out of five. Is it wet or is it more of a dry? More like wit? Is it like a it's, wet it's, wit? It's, it's kind of wet. Yeah. Okay, it's good. not a wit. I mean, but it's good. I like it. Well, um, currently I'm drinking the Heineken Double Zero because I'm still my my sober um, sober escapade. Um, yeah. But a beer I am looking forward to. We'll, we'll do that. A beer I'm looking forward to when I come back, um, and a beer I've had in the past is um, Founders comes. Founders has their their breakfast out, and they also have a, K- a Kentucky breakfast out, a candy breakfast out. Well, this year they also had an espresso. Breakfast out as well as a Mackinac fudge breakfast out, and I've had a Mackinac fudge, and it tastes like you're just drinking melted fudge with a little bit of coffee dusted on it. it it's uh, it's a, like a hint of cherry. It's it's exquisite, and um, I've got the espresso one waiting the fridge for March first. So I'm looking forward to putting some having that for breakfast. Put, putting some of that in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Heineken 0.0, uh, for those of you at home, the, uh, the placebo ABV is real. Uh, it's it 100%. Took about, it took about 11 takes to start this podcast correctly. Without I'm, a little, I'm a little loopy. Yeah. I'm a little loopy right now. Not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, uh, with that being said, let's move on to our airballing of grievances, the part of the show where we talk about something that we need to get off our chest this week. Zach, do you want to go first? I do, Ben, and thank you for being generous with your time. I know I'm just a guest on this podcast, and anytime I get to speak is a privilege. So, I'm not going to take this lightly. Um, you certainly act like a guest by, you know, you're, you know, sometimes choosing to be here, sometimes choosing not to. But we appreciate oh. whenever you have something to say. Oh, thank you. And by we, who do you mean? <laughs> Who's we? Me, me and our loyal following of listeners. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I'm appreciated in some walk of life. Um, so I guess my grievance won't be as long as last week. Um but, you know, it's something we've talked about in the past on other po- – um, I think on – talking about commentating in general. But specifically, I was watching um, watching the Lakers-Bucks game on TNT. And uh, you had AD and, and Montrez backing up Pat and Dante in the post. And Chris Weber um, talks about how I don't care what analytics has to say. Give it to the guy in the post. And this is just a, I guess, a broader issue I have with players as commentators and analysts is that they bring a great value and a great well of knowledge that we'll never be able to comprehend because we'll never be in their shoes. But I think analytics got off to a bad start. It, it, it was, it was a way, you know, I'm not always on the full analytics train and there's times when analytics hurts players in hindsight, like Allen Iverson or Kobe or Carmelo, where guys in different eras, it's hard for the analytics to, tra- to tr- transition, and some older players get knocked for that. And I understand like how efficiency, it's, it's hard to calculate. And even now with PER, PI, it's still not perfect. But to say something like a 6-foot-11, 7-footer backing up a 6-foot-1, guy is anti-analytics is it just kind of rubs me the wrong way it's that's not what analytics is about it's about optimizing each situation and that is the optimal shot in that scenario same thing as you know ben and i talk about this all the time about the value of the mid-range is that if you have a wide up the mid-range for like a guy who's chris milton demar Derozan, kobe um kd Kyrie, you want them to take those shots it's a good high percentage shot um so that's not anti-analytics. Analytics would would support that um, over, you know, a, con- a contested three at the end of the shot clock or something like that. If that's the play, the, if that's the the way the basketball game's flowing, you're a great shooter. It's a high high analytics play. So I guess my broader airballing agreements here is older players kind of misinterpreting what analytics is, and it's supposed to help players get into. Um, feed into their strengths, play to their strengths, and taking the most optimal shot. And the most optimal shot isn't a contested three or getting a seven-footer getting a, uh, a rebound below the basket and, and putting it right back up and, or kicking it down instead of putting it right back up. There's different analytics and there's different reasoning. So it's just frustrating to hear that and then, you know, and people to, I don't know, uh, you know, it's I mean, tough. I, and I I wouldn't just say that it's just older players. Like, a lot of people misconstrue analytics and, like, how they're just, like, it's kind of like a buzzword for a lot of, like, yes. NBA fans. Like, 
people are anti-analytics. Um, that's not me at all. Uh, that's not you at all. Like, no. You're not, you're not like the most analytics savvy person, but you respect the, you know, the role it has in today's game and, you know, how coaches use it to their benefit. No but, doubt. Um, I would say this is like a Chris Weber problem, but it's, I mean, you use that <laughs> as an example. Chris Weber's an awful analyst and we're going to get that to that in a second, but um, it, it happens across the league. Like there's, there's people across the league who like, you know, misinterpret how analytics helps the game. And it's not about like just three pointers and uh, like shots at the basket. Like, yes, that's a, those are both high value shots that yield high points per possession. And that's really what it all comes down to points per possession, but it's not the only shots that are good shots in specific scenarios. Like, if a player who has a mid-range element to their game has a wide-open mid-range shot or has a mid-range shot in their, you know, in rhythm that they're comfortable taking, they should take it. No doubt. Like, that's that's not a bad shot. The greater point of analytics is that you should utilize the three as much as possible because it yields a higher point per possession on average. So rather than taking a long two, like Michael Beasley or Carmelo Anthony, like a foot inside the arc, maybe take a step back and take that wide open shot instead. Obviously, like players are comfortable taking the type of shots that they're best at and certain players are better at taking mid-rangers than threes and, you know, vice versa. But like to say that a post up is a bad possession when you have a good post scorer is just stupid. Like it doesn't make sense from an analytics perspective or an eye test perspective. And, like, I think the healthy medium that most, you know, like, basketball experts, you know, rely on is the mix between analytics and film. And, like, you can learn from film just as much as you can from analytics. So, I mean, yeah, I completely agree. It's it's annoying to hear every single time that it, comes across on a national broadcast or yeah. a local broadcast or whatever. Like it's happened on the Bucks broadcast before and I've been annoyed by it, you know, but yeah, Chris Weber is a, uh, is a repeat offender. On and just, fronts. and one more thing just on that, um, like Marv Albert was just like going in the break. Why did Giannis take that three? <laughs> I don't know why he's taking that shot. Like you want, like he's got to take, he's eight, sometimes he, sometimes he has good games where he goes like, three or seven, and even if he misses, he goes 0 for 5, it's still keeping the defense honest so they don't fall back every time and, and wall off the paint. And to be fair, Giannis takes a lot of shots that he probably shouldn't from the perimeter. Like, he takes some out-of-rhythm thing just because he's open when maybe there's a better play available. I get that. I get the, you know, oh, they're going to let him take that shot every single time. That's what you hear on every broadcast. It's <laughs> yeah. a national broadcast. Every single time, not even the first time he takes a three or, like, an outside shot, every single time he takes the shot, it's either Chris Weber <laughs> or Marv Albert, like, oh, they'll let him have that every single time. <laughs> That's the most annoying thing in the world to me because it's like, okay, he's trying to expand his game. Like, he hits, like, not a great clip of them, but he hits some of them. Like, he at least keeps the defense honest in those scenarios. Granted, he should be working kind of inside out more on his, you know, repertoire of offensive skills. He shouldn't rush those shots early in the shot clock or anything like he tends to do. But 
it's just so lazy. It's lazy commentating, and that's yeah. exactly what we are going to Ooh. get into in my grievance this week. The NBA needs to market their fucking product better. Uh-oh. All right. Okay. So we're we're talking about this lazy commentating, like Chris Webber. I think it's widely known that Chris Webber is a shitty commentator. Most people hate him. He, his his entire like. Every game, it's like one run-on sentence from Chris Webber, just like, oh, and this, and it's like, and oh god, he, he never makes sense what he's saying. He's always completely out of touch. He's always, you know, ragging on analytics, ragging on this player, not understanding the scheme, not understanding what's going on, whatever. Um. And then Shaq, like we've talked about this before, Shaq yeah. went at Donovan Mitchell for no reason as some like, you know, misconstrued way of hyping him up. He's like, you know, Donovan, uh, you're just not a winning player. Uh, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> Donovan after after like, having a great game. After he had a great game and a jazz win. He's like, you know, I just don't think you have what it takes. What do you, what do you have to say about that? Donovan Mitchell's like, uh, okay. okay. And then Shaq's like, that's a great answer. I love that. Love, love that. Love to hear that from you. Uh, keep it up. Keep up the good work. It's like Shaq regs on every single, like, you know, young, aspiring, like, promising player that he can. It's like he's jealous of these guys. Like, Rudy Gobert, I get, you know. Like, we talked about the Rudy Gobert beef with Shaq. Like, I hate Rudy Gobert as much as the next guy. You know, go ahead. Reg on Rudy Gobert. <laughs> but he does this with, like, all of these, like, he basically hates every player in the association in the modern game except for, like, Giannis. Like, Giannis is his, like, love child, I guess. You know, he crowned him the next Superman. Every other player in the league, like, Shaq is ragging on to some level. He's always usually, ragging. Usually it's big men, but, like, he does this with, like, other players too. And it's like, if the NBA wants to market their product, shouldn't they be lifting up these young stars like Donovan Mitchell, like Jamal Murray, like Ben Simmons, like Joel Embiid? Like Shaq hates on Joel Embiid all the time. All the time. He's like, you know, Joel Embiid's like a modern version of Shaq in a lot of ways. Like obviously he's not the dominant presence that Shaq is on a night-to-night basis. He doesn't give that like 100% effort every single time. Like that's kind of been like some kind of – knock against Embiid is his, like, consistency, and I get that. But, like, these are your young product, young talent that you're trying to cultivate into being the next LeBron James, the next, you know, Giannis, the next Kobe, you know. You're trying to get these guys up to that level eventually. You're you're trying to market for tomorrow, tomorrow's game, and you're constantly ragging on these young and up-and-coming players. And that that's what, like – a lot of these, like, media, like, hosts do constantly. Like, Richard Jefferson and, you know, Reggie Miller, they they constantly Paul hate Pierce. on – Paul Pierce, they constantly hate on the modern NBA. Oh, I don't like these analytics now. Back in my day, it was so much better. Like, Paul Pierce has no business, you know, talking down to any modern star. <laughs> like, give me a break. I He has every business. Too. I think – no, he doesn't. Paul Pierce has done the most damage. Paul like, Pierce said that he was as good as Dwayne Wade. He said he was as good as Dwayne Wade. He wasn't as good as Dwayne Wade, but Paul Pierce is a damn good player. He's a Hall of Famer. And, you, and he was the guy who'd averaged 26, sure. 24, 25 points a game. Uh, uh, he's averaged like 27 like points a game on a bad team with Antoine Walker, dragging him to a first-round exit. 
They get a team together, and he's the leader of that team. He's the scorer. He's the guy who's, who's I mean, going toe-to-toe with LeBron. You thought she was Kobe? They don't love you like that. They don't love you like that. They don't love you like that. Paul Pierce has done the worst damage to his post-career than, I guess, we found out about Carl, Carl Malone's sexual relations with an underage girl. Like, there's no other person who's 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 done that much damage to himself. He's old takes exposed eye. personified. He's old takes exposed personified. He has every credential in the world to criticize players or to critique games or to analyze games. But the way he does it, it just, it just, the he's he decredited himself so much that now people don't take him seriously. And uh, before we get too off topic on this tangent, another thing with the NBA marketing its product. So I'm sure a lot of you are aware. Colin Sexton has a fantastic game against the Nets a couple nights ago. Puts up like 42 points. Yeah. Uh, scores 20 straight for the Cavs uh, in a double overtime win. Um, the Cavs end up beating the Nets by like over 10 points uh, by the end because the second overtime was just like Gosh. kind of a shit show. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking back at these highlights from SportsCenter, and every single highlight up until like the last couple – is all Nets players. The Cavs are leading most of this game. Like, you see the score, and it's like Cavs are up 10, 15 points, and you see, oh, Kyrie Irving, look at this cool move that he did. Oh, James Harden, look at this. When the Cavs have been dominating all night, it's like Colin Sexton is having a great game even before when he, like, completely took over. And then during the takeover, it's like they they showed one play to end the first overtime, I want to say, and then they showed a couple plays in the second overtime. But Colin Sexton was dominating at the end of that fourth quarter before that. He's the whole reason they were in that game to begin with, like, by the end. And they're showing only Nets highlights basically the whole time. The Cavs won, you know, FYI. That one's it's, a little tough because it's like it's like the first game they're all playing together. You know, it's like a... Okay, it's the first game they're all playing together, and they lose to the Cavs. And yeah. Colin Sexton puts up 42 points. Yeah. Young star. They mentioned Colin Sexton maybe twice in the entire highlight tape. Like, are you kidding me? And then the Cavs, the Cavs won again today. They yeah. beat the Nets again. Like, I just think it's so, so stupid and irresponsible that the NBA doesn't regulate the coverage of their product better than they do. It's like that's tough because look look what the PGA tour PGA tour is doing. They have they have matches like throughout the week where they're doing like raising for charity. They don't they don't televise it. They televise it at like at night, but it's happening during the day. Or they they have sometimes they even have actual tournaments and they they have restrictions on who can actually post their highlights and basically the restrictions are only them. So you never really see any of that. They they control every content that comes out of them. But then that 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 stymies the growth of the game. So I, you have a great point, but I think what comes with opening up their product to everybody to share it and, and to grow the game is a diffused message where people can, like most people aren't going to the NBA Instagram to get their highlights or some or, or their news about the NBA. They're going to Bleacher Report. They're going to Sports Center. So those, the, the NBA doesn't control the channel to grow the game. They have to, it's not like, I'm not saying they have to, but they have to, Suffer, suffer the consequence or deal with the side effect of opening the control look, channels up. Look, don't get me wrong. The NBA does a great job of the 
sharing elements of their product. Like they have less regulations than the NFL or any other major sport on sharing highlights, sharing this and that. And, you know, the whole media environment, sports writing, like they're great with that. Like they're actually far ahead of anybody else. My point is they have major partnerships with these companies like NBA on TNT and with NBA on ESPN. And they have a say in who's on there and who's talking about their product. They have a say in who's commentating. Like we don't need, like, do you remember the players only guys? I love that. George Hill, Charles Barkley. George Hill was not in there. (laughs) on, On TNT? When George they did Hill? Their, when they did their – oh, I, I'm talking about the round table they used to do in the 2000s with Steve Kerr and all those guys. You're talking about no, players no, no. only on – I'm like talking Dennis, about – With Dennis Scott and all them, those guys. I'm talking about players only on TNT when they had, like, Isaiah Thomas and Reggie Miller, like, just basically bullshitting the whole time, not talking Jeez. about the actual game on the court, talking about how back in their day it was so much better, like – Talking, hating on, hating on three-point shots and everything, and the way the modern game is played during the entire game, while uh, fantastic product on the court is being played, where more people, more eyeballs are on the current game than any other time in NBA history. But you have these guys who are basically, you know, hating on everything after their prime. I think they're trying to. There was like a roundtable they used to do where they would talk about old stories they'd go through, and I think they were probably That's trying not to what replicate I'm that. About. No, I'm saying that I think they were trying to replicate that. But then, like you said, there's a. That's not the time when to talk about glory stories. We've already heard that you can set up interviews with Isaiah Thomas or Steve Smith or those guys, or uh, Baron Davis. But um, I think I think your overall point then is why are, why are all these analysts hating on the content? That, I think that I think you, like a lot of like a lot of our like my dad I don't know about your dad but my dad is just like well, the game was so much better back then and there's certain parts of it that I, I think the mid to like 2008 to 2000 like 2008 to 2011 12 was like a perfect combination of the three starting to come into play but you still have the ground and pound I think now I, I sometimes I don't like it as much but I think it's part of I think your overall point is just. The people who talk about the NBA should generally be supportive of the NBA, and that's not a difficult ask. It's not. It's not. And that is my overall point. Like, without getting into too much of the specifics of who and what, like, overall, the NBA needs to market their product better and, you know, even make their product more accessible. That's kind of a different topic for another day, but, like, there was a blackout during the TNT Bucks Lakers game really? where a bunch of people couldn't view it. And like wow. people in the market, like in, in the Milwaukee market couldn't view the game and it wasn't on the normal Fox sports channels. It's like, you need to figure that shit out. If you're the NBA, like you can't, you know, their product with uh, what's it called? League pass is so bad like $60 they, a month too? Like that's it's, it's, that's expensive. It's terribly expensive and it looks like it was developed on Windows 98. It's like <laughs> Windows XP. Zero usability whatsoever. Like the the user interface is awful. Like and you can't watch multiple games, right? Or I don't I don't know. I've never actually owned it, but I haven't like, either. It's 
there's a reason I haven't owned it. Like, not just because of the cost, but because it's a terrible product, and you can get yeah. these games uh, <clears throat> oh, uh, in other the, ways. Oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And the, the fact is that the alternative is better. And so until the NBA makes their product, you know, their actual product, something that has a competitive advantage, they're going to lose viewers because of that. And so these are just ways to make a competitive advantage for their overall product. Yeah. I think we've spent a lot of time on <laughs> our grievances today, you know, which is fine because That's we don't fine. have as much to cover in the news segment today. So oh, okay. we'll get into that. Um, first bit of news. Um, I don't think we actually talked about this on the podcast, but Zach and I privately were joking about how after the James Harden trade went down a couple you know, hours later, <laughs> later uh, something would come out about how the Celtics were this close to coming to a deal for James Harden, just like <laughs> every other major player in any major trade. Um, that did, in fact, happen. Danny Ainge uh, was quoted saying, the asking price was a bit too high for James Harden. Um the reported offer included Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and multiple first-round picks. Hmm. Zach, what are your initial thoughts on this uh, trade package? Was it was it too much for Danny to swallow? Was it was it too steep a price? I think Danny, he's an, he's almost like, I don't know, he's like an optimist. He's trying to find the perfect scenario, and sometimes his inaction protects them. You know, his inaction, it's safe, but... He's a fiscal conservative, Danny Andrews. He wards assets, and then he just yeah. kind of sits on them, you know? And then he regrets it later, just like, ah, oh, I should have invested in that, an Apple back in 1990. Oh. Maybe if I threw in Marcus Smart, it would have been different. Mm. Like, I think, like, it's a kind of a weird fit because, like, you got James Harden, and he's, he probably want to run point more, but you also have Kimba. And, but it's, it'd work. Like, it'd work. Harden wouldn't you mind. You don't, you don't not do James Harden because of Kimba Walker. You, you could trade Kimba Walker for whatever. Right. And it's like Marcus Smart, he's having an okay he's, – he's, he's a good player, but he's not – like he shouldn't be a deal-breaker. And then Jalen Brown, obviously Harden's better than Jalen Brown. And multiple first-round picks, you have Jalen, you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. What do you need these picks for? So I, like, I don't understand why you're trying to hold on to these picks when – you're not even going to be drafting guys in, in the – draft of like guys that will be on the team for a long time. So – they're not even like good assets to hold on to. So I think this, if this was the trade, um, I'm 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 happy that we we got the Brooklyn deal. This the Brooklyn deal is better because KD will be old by then. You know, Harden will be older, so those picks are going to be more valuable. These Celtics picks aren't even going to be valuable because you got young guys on the team that are going to keep the team alive. So yeah. I mean, this is this is a uh, if this is actually like a, he should have leaked something more like J- Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kimball Walker. Like he should he should have leaked something. If he's leaking this, he should have leaked something like that didn't make him look like a fucking dickwad. Yeah, um, it's always Jalen Brown. I feel like it's always uh, Jalen Brown is the one that <laughs> he's the Danny, expendable one. Yeah, well, it's he's the one that Danny is just not willing to uh, give up. Oh. Deal. I thought you meant like he's always in the trade deal. 
Oh, that's what you're saying. Well, it's like, I feel like Jalen Brown was like in the Anthony Davis package. I think so like, too, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think he was. I don't think Tatum was in that. Like, can you imagine James Harden, Jason Tatum? Like, Jason Tatum, he's not quite a first option yet, but like second option to James Harden, hell yeah. Like, Holy he would have insane. Like, he's a great team defender. You know, they can mask each other's weaknesses a little bit. Like, James Harden, you know, is great at, you know, getting to the rim, drawing fouls. Jason Tatum, that's not his strong suit. Like, he's more of a perimeter guy, and James Harden can do that too. Like, James Harden's an all-around superstar. Why do you not pull the trigger for James Harden if the price is Jalen Brown? Like, I get Jalen Brown's having a nice year. Like, he's having a better year than he has in the past. Yeah. Like, sure. But... James Harden is James Harden. Like I don't, I don't care what you think. Like Marcus Smart is a nice player. He's a culture setter. He's like, a, he's a nice, you know, for a team that's trying to like rebuild, trying to, you know, it would make sense for the Rockets too to have him. But like, that's not a deal breaker. And Jalen Brown, obviously, James Harden's a better player than Jalen Brown, and like yeah. the only thing I can think of is your title window is probably a little longer with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but the ceiling isn't as high. No, and Harden can like, like I don't think Kemba is having a great year. Like I haven't, I'm gonna be honest, no. I haven't kept up great, but I haven't heard him. I haven't seen Harden mentioned. I watched all these games; he's not making an impact. And it's clear that Kemba is not a piece that is going to be, like, a core piece long-term if they're going to be in title contention. Like, he is not the guy that you want to hang on to. So, like, if you can swing for James Harden and, like, you do it, you're not doing it because of Kemba Walker is already there. Like, you can swing Kemba Walker for a nice player who could complement Harden and Tatum. Like, Throw in Kemba and you get P.J. Tucker in return. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Um, Danny Ainge sucks. Um, that we've been new. Harden can, like, Jalen, yeah. Jalen Brown's on a facilitator. Harden's, Harden's a better scorer, and he's an insane facilitator. Like, you see when he's on the nets, he's playing point guard. And, he, like, he can just switch that. He wasn't even playing point guard this year, really. And he can just switch that immediately. And Kemba so. was terrible in the playoffs. Like, Kemba is not the guy that you can rely on to be your facilitator, scorer, guy, perimeter creator in the playoffs. Like, I mean, James Harden has had his playoff struggles, too. But, like, he was also playing in a heliocentric offense that literally revolved all the way around him. That's a – I mean, that was – that's a hell of a – I'm not even – I'm not shooting on you. That was a a great terminology. Well, it's literally what – It's perfect. uh, It's a perfect explanation, yeah. It's what the D'Antoni offense was, and that's part of the reason why it sucked and why it fell apart in the playoffs because James Harden is the key engine, and whenever, you know, he's not all the way on his game or when defenses are keying in on him, nobody else can make them pay. Like, there's no other way for – like, guys are used to standing around and just – you know, hitting the open three in that offense. Like, you're not – you don't have any other movement. You don't have any other, like – it's just – And the other movement – the other movement last year was Westbrook barreling into four guys and not kicking out. So that was the other movement. Exactly. And I've said this so many times, but Chris Paul, you know, they downgraded heavily. I said it before the trade. I said it after the trade. I said it, you know, during that Westbrook season, even when he was playing well. 
Westbrook, his first like four months, it was just like he was like taking the back seat. He was just he was like comfortable, averaging like eighteen and ten, twenty and ten. It was like okay, this this can this can work. And then like the bubble happened, and then it was just like what? Hey, I think he had a knee injury too before the bubble. He was hurt. He was hurt. He was hurt. But if he's hurt, he should be driving into the paint last. <laughs> right. If he's hurt, he shouldn't be putting up bullshit. You know. Um. Yeah. Long story short, this is this makes Danny Ainge look even worse, and he's he he's drafted well. Obviously, it's it's. I mean, he's Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, but like he could have had he could have AD, he could have had Harden, he could have KD. There's so many things that that could have could have would have happened could have would have happened and. Um, he played it safe. You play. He played it safe. He's the fiscal conservative uh, GM. Uh, yeah. Next bit of news. Um, so Bill Simmons said that he's taking Colin Sexton over Gearn Fox and Trey Young. <laughs> Wait, is Bill calling in the pod right now? I think I'm, I think I'm ready to say this. Colin Sexton. He's better, he's better than Trey Young. Would Bill have said this three weeks ago? Absolutely not. I've never heard Bill Simmons. I stopped listening to Bill Simmons' podcast after, like three, two years ago after he just kept shitting all over Tom Brady. It's like, and we won the Super Bowl that year. And even afterwards, he's like, eh, I like the way you play in the Super Bowl. Like, he just didn't look like the same. He won the Super Bowl! Like, I just hate his, like, he's just, he just, he just like shitting on, like, the smallest little fucking detail. I've never once fucking heard him say anything good about Colin Sexton. <laughs> I could be wrong, but it was just read, like I guarantee you, if he didn't beat the Nets, he wouldn't be saying this. One game doesn't make you all of a sudden better than De'Aaron Fox and Trey Young. Prisoner of the moment, Bill Simmons. Thank uh, you. Colin Sexton, he's having a fantastic year. He's like he was shit game. last year. He was shit. He was shit last year, but you know it takes a while for young guards to develop, and he's in his third season now. I want to say. Um, so, you know, sometimes these guys come out of the woodwork in year three through five and end up being really impactful players. Look at Victor Oladipo. Sure, but De'Aaron Fox and Trey Young are established, solid, really explosive players. They are. I mean, and, you know, I can see the De'Aaron Fox point to an extent. Like, obviously De'Aaron Fox has been doing what he's doing for longer, and he kind of, what he does goes a little bit more unnoticed because of him being on the Sacramento Kings, you know, granted – Sexton's on the Cavs, but, you know, De'Aaron Fox is not a great, uh, you know, half-court offense type player. Like, he's not the best perimeter shooter. You know, he's better in transition. I can see the the point about Sexton, you know, possibly having, you know, he, he's a younger guy than Fox, and he is showing more in the half-court now, which can be more valuable in a playoff setting when the game slows down, you know, I could see, you know, the take long term. I'd rather have Colin Sexton over De'Aaron Fox, possibly. Trey Young is a completely different animal for me. Like Trey Young's been doing what he's doing for, you know, he's he is a completely like he he's a player you could run a heliocentric offense around. Like he's a guy who could drive a really really good offense. You know, granted, he's a terrible defensive player, one of the worst defensive players in the league, if not the worst. But, you know, that can improve. He could improve to be a slightly under average defender. Like, 
but he's still going to have that ceiling as one of the premier creators in the league. Colin Sexton, he's had a really good year so far. Like he's great efficiency, like high scoring. We'll see what he does in a couple months. You know, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on Colin Sexton over one of the few guys who can claim, you know, being able to run a good offense around them, you know, consistently. And it's, it's, I think it's just prisoner of the moment. Like you said, like Colin Sexton's having a hell of a year. He's averaging 27 points. He's, but he's only averaging 3.7 assists and, and, and a point guard, you know, you, you need more assists than that. You, you don't need a scoring point. Scoring point guards have shown that they don't really win in the playoffs. Like guys who win in the playoffs, Stockton, Magic. Like these are the, these are the guys who, I don't know, scoring. But there's some passing first point guards who haven't won, like Nash or, or Kid. Like Curry. Kid won later. Curry's a good point, but um, he had other guys around him. Yeah. That that also um, complimented him. Yeah, they were complimented him, and they were able to score as well. So, but I think very prisonable. Like Trey Young is having kind of a down year. He's having a bad shooting year, but he's still averaging 24 points a game. He's still and it's a different team playing with guys. He's probably getting different looks. Um, and you know what you're going to get with Darren Fox. You're going to get a speedster who's averaging averaging 20 points a game, five assists, and he also is averaging 35 percent from the field this year. So. After nine games, sorry, thirty-five percent from three. Yeah, this year, but he had he had twenty-nine percent last year. Okay, I, you said thirty-five percent from the field, so I was confused. No, sorry, from three. I'm sorry. That's like a Monte Ellis uh, type season. So <laughs> confused. Like a Luca Luca Doncic season, but mm-hmm. um, I'm kidding. So I, we're both in agreement here again. Um, we don't we don't plan to be in agreement on these news, but we. Um, I think, I think we're, are, we're smart guys. We're smart guys. <laughs> we're smart guys, and it, this is not an echo chamber. Um, <laughs> but I think a nine-game sample size is just too small. And Colin Sexton's having an insane offensive season, fifty percent from three. Come on, taking five threes a game. He's you'd love to have you'd love to have him as like a you know a tertiary guy. You know, especially with the season he's having. Like, I don't know if he'll ever be the first option on a team. I don't know if he'll ever be the second option on a team. But like. He could help you win for sure, and like a, a point guard who averages under four assists is like that's suspect. And you know maybe he's more of a combo guard. You know that's fine. Like more of a Zach, Donovan Mitchell kind of thing. Zach Levine is like kind of like a, a kind of a parallel type style player that I can think of. That you know, you know he's having a extremely efficient season as well, scoring. Like this is probably Zach Levine's best year. Um, you know, shooting really well from three, shooting well overall from the field, but, you know, again, he's not the type of guy who's going to get other guys involved in the offense. He's going to be your lightning-in-a-bottle type shooter, type microwave scorer, but he's not going to be the guy who can make other guys better, which is ultimately what you're going to need from number one, number two option, you know, in the playoffs. Yeah, and look, I, I to piggyback off that and also kind of disagree, so I think that's a great comparison, great comp with Zach Levine. I also think Donovan Mitchell, he's a guy like Donovan Mitchell can explode for 61 points in a game, but he also has a couple games that you forget about, and then those are the games that lose a series. So I think I think Colin Sexton could grow into something like that and even better. That I'm not going to limit this guy. He's a, he's a hell of a player. No doubt. But and also making his guys better, he's on the Cavs, and the Cavs are young. They're working on it, but they, their roster isn't good. Like, but even if he was on a great roster, 
there's going to be better players than him, so then he wouldn't be able to get in the look, so he wouldn't be looking as good. He's not a guy who – he's kind of – I guess our overall point is, is he's looking for himself, and he's he's a score-first guy. And if you're going to be a score-first guy in the league, averaging 27 points, I mean, that's that's what these score-first guys do in their sleep. That's what Harden, Giannis, um, LeBron's not score-first, but he can be. Curry, Damian Lillard, these guys can average 27 in their sleep. So averaging 27, that's a, that's a hell, hell of a thing if you can do it for your entire career. But over a nine-game stretch, we've seen it before, and I sound like Shaq, now I'm hating, right? We just talked about hating. He's a hell of a player. I just think it's overreaction by Bill, and it's diminishing Trey Young and um, De'Aaron Fox. But, hey, Colin Sexton's balling out this year, and um, the, the Cavs are flowing well with him. So maybe the Cavs, maybe the way the Cavs are constructed, this play style will work. We will see. We'll, we'll definitely revisit this, and uh, it's fun to see Colin Sexton take down the – the, the Hydra, three-headed monster. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think the thing that's impressive about what he's doing this year is the fact that he's doing it so efficiently when there's not that much other offensive help around him. No doubt. The Cavs are the 30th-ranked offense, and he's scoring this efficiently. So that just tells you right there how, you know, what incredible of an offensive season he's having. Uh, yeah. It's a, definitely nothing to take away from him. Uh Kind effective, of moving quick, effective field goal percentage of fifty nine percent this year. Insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Very good. Especially for a guard who's yep. you know, getting most of his looks from the perimeter. And a little undersized. Um, right. Right. And Zach Levine's, you know, having a similar year, getting most of his looks from the perimeter as well and still scoring extremely efficiently efficiently. So shout out to him. Um that kinda Kind of moving into this, uh, moves into this nicely a little bit, but uh, Kirk Goldsberry um, does an efficiency landscape uh, kind of weekly, I think. Uh, you know, Kirk Goldsberry, we're both uh, Texas alums. He was a, uh, he's a teacher at Texas, actually, uh, oh, nice. in the last couple of years. Um, but he puts together uh efficiency landscape where he kind of graphs and the most efficient uh, uh, net rating, offensive rating, defensive rating teams in the NBA. Uh, so I'll just throw out a couple here. Um, the Bucks are kind of at the forefront right now of the efficiency landscape. They're number two in net rating, number two in offense, and number 11 in defense. Um, the Lakers are close behind them, number one in net rating, number five in offense, number one in defense. Um, the net or sorry, the Clippers are number three in net rating, number one in offense, and number fifteen in defense. Um, the Jazz are number four overall in net rating, which is uh, a little surprising. Uh, they're doing pretty well overall. Um, the Nuggets are actually number five in net rating, even though they've kind of slid to a you know seven and seven start so far, which you know. That kind of tells you that maybe that's not a record that is characteristic of how the rest of their season will be if they have the fifth best net rating in the league. Or um, it just means analytics is wrong, Ben, and we should never use it. Okay. I'm right. joking. Are, are, I'm joking. Are, are, I'm joking. Right. Okay, Chris Weber, calm down. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, the best offensive. Uh, team in the league is whatever team plays the Sacramento Kings. They have oh. the 30th ranked defense by, in Kirk's words, a country mile. 
Um, in this, in this graph, way, yeah, way at the bottom of the graph, way like way in the in the upside down here. Um, so the six o'clock, like on a, it's like on the before four quadrant graph, and they're at the six o'clock position, and no one's even close to that. Everyone's yeah. on a lot, kind of like the line of best fit going through the origin, and they're at six o'clock. They're fourteenth in offense and thirtieth in net rating, which just tells you how bad their defense is. Um, hmm. The Nets are pretty bad overall, too. Uh, 29th in net rating, 27th in offense, 26th in defense. Cavs, like we mentioned before, second in defense. Wait, who was the last thing you just said? Uh, the Timberwolves. Okay. Minnesota, I think I said. Okay, cool. Um, Cavs are 30th in offense, but second in defense. Mm. Which is pretty insane. Uh, obviously, you know this is still a small sample size this early in the season, uh, but even so, still pretty impressive. Um, one more notable team, the Nets, number six in net rating, number four in offense, twenty-first uh, in defense. Mm. So you know we kind of guessed that their defense is going to be pretty bad. Um, it is in the bottom third. Uh, but not the Kings, and not the Wolves, so <laughs> not the Nuggets. <laughs> one thing, uh, you know, maybe the Bucks' defense was one of their stronger suits last year. I mean, they had that insane offense, but also their defense was insane, and Brook Lopez was in consideration for best play of the year. I think, you know, there's a combination of, of Brook just kind of looking like maybe a half step slower this year. He's always kind of been a methodical player, but he, just from what I've seen this year, he doesn't look – like he's getting to his spots on defense, he's not contested as many shots. It seems like he's hanging on the perimeter offense. But I also think that the depth is—I don't know. I think Dante needs to step up on his defense, and um, maybe he can't. But I think whenever Drew Holiday gets off the floor, um, the other guards can feast. So I think, yeah, I think that Dante has been fine in his defensive role um, as a guy who's watched basically every Bucks game. Like the problem is. The second unit, and, you know, Dante's starting. So, you know, the first unit has been a juggernaut uh, in net rating. They've been one of the best lineups in the league. Uh, But, you know, when it comes down to players like Bryn Forbes and DJ Augustine and Pat Connaughton, who are leading that second unit, and then you have Bobby Portis, who's trying to play a drop coverage role, even though he's not, you know, best equipped for drop coverage. He's more of a switchy type big. You know, you're playing a lot of these guys in a scheme that's not comfortable for them. And, you know, I think that's a big reason why, this Bucks defense is a lot worse than it was the last couple of years when they were, you know, tops in the league. Yeah. Um, the offense, I'm really liking the offense so far. Okay. That's one of the Milton's playing spots. really well, having a career uh, year. Yeah. Chris Middleton's been insane. Uh, Drew Holiday is, you know, you can already tell is just such an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe offensively. He just really, the pace he plays at is so controlled and he can, you know, penetrate the defense, get guys involved. He can take it himself and create his own shot. Um, He's really good at like those like short mid range turnarounds. He's really good at just 
fitting in layups in there against bigger guys that you'd think he has no business doing. You know, he's he's a bigger guard, so he's kind of got the size in there. But it's still a stark contrast from what you saw from Eric Bledsoe in that Bucks offense. He just brings a different dimension and without giving up anything defensively. So, you know, I'm excited about the Bucks offense this year. I think that as they play more together, you know, this is a largely new team. So, you know, the chemistry might tighten up the defense on that end a little bit. I also think that Bud needs to change up the defense a little bit more, kind of throw some different looks there, maybe switch a little bit more often. Um, But, you know. Yeah. So, good stuff there. Thanks, thanks, Kirk. Hook them horns. Hook hook them horns. Uh, Moving on to the next segment of our show. Uh, A fan favorite, even though, you know, we've gotten no feedback from it. Uh, The Deli (laughs) Desktop. No news is good news, man. Um, this week it's going to be a quick segment. Um, you know, we did this. I thought about this segment. We thought, you know, we'd be talking about like a Delhi pass every now and then, or oh well, Delhi had five assists. That shows like he's still got his point guard vision going. But um, that hit he took in preseason must have been pretty hard because he's still out with that concussion. Uh, and preseason was more than a month ago now. <laughs> um, so. Um, so I was scrolling through Twitter trying to find some deep dives, and it said that um, so that Delhi was a game time decision for their first game against Brooklyn, but I wasn't able to confirm that on any other scenario. And the tweet only had three likes, so don't know how um, <laughs> valid it is. But I saw a lot of you know, I don't know. So I just hope he's hope our hope our guys still like slicing slicing ham and capicola, still being the Delhi Meister. You're really coming at us with the with the heat on this segment here. Some big. I, I mean, news. yeah, uh, it's I don't know. Every every passing week, it's just kind of like uh, he still has a, he still has a concussion. Like Patrick Mahomes cleared concussion protocol, so they probably would have cleared regardless of however hit, much of a hit he took. They're, just letting, they're letting Colin Sexton work. You know, Delhi's been the coach from the sidelines, <laughs> oh. making this all happen. Well, if he's the coach from the sidelines, he's a concussion. While he's coaching, then maybe you should keep it in his head because whatever he's doing, the the cat like I thought the Cavs would be shit this year. So Colin Sexton, Garland, they still might be, still might be. We'll see. Um, the Sexton so, is real, and it might be all because of Delhi having more time to focus on his kind of coaching veteran presence role on the team. Uh, we'll see if that continues when he comes back. We'll see. Uh, let's move on to a new segment of the show that, uh, Zach and I are proud to introduce this week. Um, this will be kind of a floating segment that we might, you know, get to here and there, uh, kind of rotating with, um, a couple other segments that we might have some temporary segments, but the bonus fry baller 
segment of the show where Zach and I talk about the bonus fry at the bottom of the bag, a player, a team that, or a player that teams didn't really expect to be this good coming in, but you know have kind of been underrated, performing really well. Uh, so I'll go first on this one. Um, Seth Curry. I I said this on the uh, you know I don't mean to toot my own horn, but uh, I mentioned oh. Seth Curry on our Eastern Conference preview before the season, how I thought that he's going to be a really good fit in this offense, kind of, you know, that J.J. Redick-type shooter role. Um, And he's been having a monster season so far, uh, fitting in really nice with Simmons and Embiid. Uh, So check out these shooting percentiles via Synergy. Um, He's... 100th percentile in catch-and-shoots and and unguarded catch-and-shoot situations. 100th percentile in shots with less than four seconds on the shot clock. 99th percentile uh, overall in the half court. 99th percentile in jump shots. 98th percentile in spot-up shots. 87th percentile in transition. 86th percentile in dribble jumpers. 95th percentile in pick-and-roll ball handling, and 79th percentile in handoff situations. Wow. So (laughs) he's having probably as efficient of a year as you could possibly imagine. (laughs) Uh, Pretty much all in the 90 percentiles in all of those areas. He's averaging 16.8 points per game, three and a half. 3.3 3.3 assists, uh, 60.2% from the field as a guard, which is insanity, um, 59.6% from three. Holy shit. 100% from the free throw line. True shooting percentage of 79.1%. Wow. Um, 1.6 turnovers. Seth Holy Curry. fuck, man. Having an insane year. Uh, Mavericks miss him. The Mavericks Mavericks miss him offensively for sure. I think it was a win-win situation to kind of swap him and Richardson. Uh, You know, the Mavericks defense has actually been a lot better this year. Um, And, you know, some of that has to be attributed to Josh Richardson being a presence in their backcourt now. Um, but I think the fit, just the fit next to Embiid and Simmons with this guy, like, is incredible. Like, it's, you know, a major reason that the Sixers have an 11-5 record right now, currently first in the Eastern Conference. Um, You're saying he's playing a little, like, slightly better than Danny Green is right now. (laughs) (laughs) Danny Green, <laughs> Danny yeah. Green averaging 9.4 points per game, uh, 37% from the field, uh, 37% from three. So basically only hitting his three-point shots and nothing only else. Taking, only taking three points. He's averaging two two-point attempts a game. Oh, really? Yeah. He's taking 8.7 threes a game. Sorry. 
He's taking 6.73s a game and taking 2.12s a game. Wow. So he He's not a driver. He's not a driver. He's a wait in the corner and then they'll find him. Simmons will yeah. find him and B will find him. He's got a true shooting percentage of 53, which isn't uh not too shabby. Um I don't know how. It's free throw percentage good. I think that's probably what drives it down. Because if he's only hitting threes and he's hitting them at like a 37% clip, that yeah, I guess theoretically have his true shooting percentage higher. Um, so I guess that's what that's brings, it, brings it down to earth a bit. But You know, it, it shows how good Steph Curry's playing when we're looking at Danny Green's numbers saying, oh, he's shooting 38% from three. He's having a shitty season. 37%, but, you know, I get what you I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at basketball reference. Probably wasn't updated for tonight's game. But, um, yeah. I haven't – I haven't been – I mean, is, is he playing good defense? Like, is he – he's probably – he's quicker than Danny Green is. He's better probably coming off screen than Danny Green is. But how is he on defense? I mean, Steph Curry's not a great defender. But, like, no. that's not kind of the point. I mean – No. You have they can, they can match Simmons. Them. You have Simmons and Embiid for your defense, you know. And Danny Green, you know, has been a decent defender throughout his career. He's getting up there in age, but yep. let's move on to your bonus fry baller of the week, Zach. Uh, who do you got? Well, I think this one may be a little obvious that I kind of took an easy way out, but I'm going to go with Jared Allen. Um, in his two games with Cleveland, he is 13 for 19 from the field, 17 boards. And four blocks. He's 83% from the line. He's shooting 68% from the field. So, um, so and his averages are 15 points a game, eight rebounds, 25 minutes. And um, he had a couple posters tonight. He had one on Joe Harris. So, um, and but what's you know, it's not nothing new. It's nothing new. And this is becoming more apparent for the for the Nets is that you know his per 36 in Brooklyn was. 15 points a game, 14 rebounds, two blocks on 67% shooting. So this isn't more of a – this is more kind of an underrated thing. Is like he's been doing this. And um, I think we, we both saw that trade. Uh, we're just kind of like, Jared Allen. You don't want to give up Jared Allen because uh, we talked about this. You know what DeAndre Jordan – like DeAndre Jordan played okay their their first night together, or first night for Harden and KD, but – He's slow moving the screens. He's, he's his hands aren't as good. Harden threw him a couple lobs. He wasn't able to grab him. Defense not isn't even close to the same. Athleticism isn't the same. And DeAndre Jordan's playing a little better than I thought he would. Not gonna lie. But they don't have anybody coming off the bench to help, and they don't have anybody to to spell DeAndre Jordan. So DeAndre Jordan's just gonna get worse as the season goes along. I, I just think he it, just signed a center, but he's not very good. Um, okay. Jordan, I think it's Jordan Pell. I I might be completely off on that name, but uh, he had a he was on the team last year. Um, okay. But not not really anything to note. They just added him for size. But yeah, yeah basically nothing backing up Jordan. So. And this is kind of like he's he's balled out this week. He's had uh, he had four blocks the first night, and then he had a really he had you know high high scoring points high scoring. So. Um, Hey, hook them horns. The second time we're shouting out the horns tonight. Um, well, I think we both saw this coming where it was just like, hey, Jared Allen's going to ball. And um, I don't, you know, I think he's really coming into his own because, you know, he's trying to get his feet wet. And I think he was really rolling well with those guys off screens, on defense. 
and um, they need him. And he's a guy that um, the Nets desperately need back, and they're not, he's not going to come back. And he's he's helping the Cavs. Um, and Drummond's having a solid year, but um, you need a guy off the bench who can yeah. spell. Uh, my apologies, it's Norval Pell, uh, but he played oh, for the okay. Sixers. Played the, for the Sixers most recently, which honestly doesn't look like it was all that recent, 2019. Uh, he averaged 2.4 points and three rebounds in 9.7 minutes uh, that season. So, Norval Pell, everybody. Uh, wow. Let, let's move on to the mailbag portion of the show where we answer some listener-submitted questions. Sweet. First off, uh, kind of a heavy hitter question. Uh, what are your all-time big three rankings? This is from Noah. Noah, thanks for a, a great question. Um, I'll take this first. There's a, there's a couple to choose from. Um, I guess I'll start off with just kind of naming a few that we kind of go through. Is you got you got Magic, Kareem, James Worthy. You've got the Boston big three. Uh, is James Worthy a true third in a big three, though? No, no doubt. Big game James, brother. Let's be honest. Are when you serious? Think, when you think of those teams, do you really think of Worthy as, like, the big three? That's more of a big two between Magic and Kareem, for being honest. Like, sure, there's a third guy there who's impactful, but is he really a big three? Um, yeah. He's a Hall yeah. of Famer. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that when you think of those teams, it's like it's like a it's a big two, it's a duo with with that Lakers team. I mean, Worthy was averaging like 18 points a game, which is just in line with Magic and Kareem, averaging five boards, with on a 59 percent true shooting percentage. I suppose. I mean, I, I don't know. No, man, big game, James, brother, Jim James Worthy. He's the guy who could drop 40 on your head. There was a, there was a night in Houston where they were playing, and he was. Um, he had a couple girls in his room, and he got busted. Was in the police uh, was was in jail, and while the first half was going on, comes back in the second half and scores like thirty five to win the game. Yeah, I know that. I, I remember hearing that. You heard it from my dad <laughs> because my dad's yeah. favorite story. I don't think it's totally true, but um, big game, James, man. So Magic Kareem, James Worthy, that's one big three. I'm not saying these are my big three. I'm just saying these are a couple that you think about: LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Um, Celtics big three, Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. You got the old Celtics with Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. And then you got the Warriors, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Durant. You got Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain. Um, let's see, who else? Um, you got some of the old, like one of the old big threes is uh, Sam Jones. Uh, sorry, Bill Russell, Sam Jones, and Tommy Heinsohn. Um Then you got the Spurs big three. You got Ginobili, Parker. Um, and Duncan. Um, so there's a couple big threes to choose from. Um, did, you, did you say, sorry, did you say the Heat one? The, yep. The Heatles? Yep. I may not have, but I was looked at it. You know, you got, you got Wade, Bosch, LeBron. Mm-hmm. And then now you got, obviously, you got um, Harden, KD, and Kyrie. Um, so and you also have uh, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. And uh, um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, I let, or you go first since I laid it out, and I'll, I'll I'll respond. But out of those, or maybe you have one that you were thinking about. Um, 
Who do you think is the best big three of all time? And what are we judging this best big three on? The best three to play together or the best fit together or? I don't know. I think it's, <laughs> this is object. This is subjective. Uh, okay. Whatever, whatever you think is okay. whatever your criteria is. You can explain your criteria, but. All right. Who's your best big three? Um, I don't think you can classify the Warriors as a big three because I think they're a big four for, you know, two of their championships um, with Steph, Thompson, Durant, Draymond. Um, obviously, the first year was a big three, and, you know, that was a special team. But, um, you know, the Heatles are up there for sure. Uh, I think that... My big three, my best big three of all time is the Spurs with Parker, Ginobili, Duncan. Um, You know, that's a lot of chips, you know, with those guys. A lot of consistency. A lot of consistency. uh, Just, you know, excellence year after year, you know, regular season and postseason consistently. Like, Pop made the playoffs how many years in a row? Like, it was a running 25 record. or something, 23 or something. Right. And, you know, the more, majority of that is with those guys playing. So, um, you know, I guess also, yeah, some yeah, of yeah, that's with David Robinson, too. But, yeah. I was thinking you also have Kyrie, Kevin Love, and LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, but I would. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I think the Heat Big Three is better than that Cavs Big Three. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dwayne Wade's a better player than uh, Kyrie. So that's my thing: is Dwayne Wade is a better player, obviously, all time than Kyrie. But I think Kyrie fit better with LeBron because Kyrie could, you know, hit the three. He was, I felt like, at Dwayne Wade's point, especially in 20, 2013, 2014, that kind of older D Wade. Yeah, towards the end. Towards the end, he was falling off a little bit, but, you know, think about the era, too. Like, the threes weren't being shot at quite the clip they are now, Uh, so Wade didn't really need to be that proficient of a three-point shooter um, to be as effective as he was, and Bosh kind of, you know, added that to his game during that, you know, big three run. I remember listening to a podcast with Chris Bosh on – him talking about him developing that three-point stroke after the initial um, the initial run where they lost to the Mavericks. Uh, he kind of slowly started adding that shot to his game. And, you know, he was never the most efficient uh, from behind the arc, you know, despite, you know, kind of what we look back on thinking about Chris Bosh being a knockdown three-point threat. Like, he was never – you know, in the you know high 30s, low 40s from that range, but he was consistent enough, and he he hit him when it mattered most, especially in that era where he was a legitimate threat. Um, yeah, like back in like those two two thousand, I guess like three to two thousand thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, not fourteen, fifteen, but probably thirteen. That ten year stretch, it felt like anybody who shot like above thirty percent was like a threat. It just felt like that, you know. Like yeah, not, not, I thought not like above a, 30, more like, like above 32, 33. Okay, yeah. I'm 2% it's off, but I think a guy should, like I was saying, 32, 31, 32, it's like, 
got to watch out for that guy. Um, but nonetheless, I, if, if you count the big three, uh, if you if you don't count Draymond, so if you say Draymond with them is a big four, then the big three would be Steph, Clay, and Draymond before KD got there. Right. And that that's a tough run because you got you can't judge I guess the whole team because it's a big three. You got, you got Harrison Bar- Barnes there, but <laughs> I think Bogut. <laughs> Bogut. Festus is Ely. I think. I like your Spurs pick a lot. Okay, but I I'll, I, I like that Heat that Heat big three, prime Heat big three. Yeah. The Celtics big three is also like a three and a half with Rondo there. Right. It's tough. Okay, so how about this? Would you say that a um, who would win like a twenty two thousand twelve Heat versus the um, two thousand let's say. Well, I guess we kind of saw it. We saw the aging Spurs. I was going to say, the Spurs beat the Heat in the last Heat run. I mean, the Spurs proved that they were better. Uh, I mean, they went one and one with them, but like... Yeah, and that was the older Spurs team. It was an older Heat team, too, with Wade and Bosh. Well, when they lost them the first time. Oh, uh, yeah, it was. But it was even older, obviously, the next year when they won, so... yeah. I just think the longevity of that big three and just the, you know, not only the playoff success, but the regular season success for so long, that, that that's my good big three. That's fair. I like, I want to, for sentimental reasons, I want to say Jerry West, Elgin, and Wilt, but Wilt was 35 at that time. Jerry was probably 30, fuck, I don't know, like 33 at that point. And Elgin retired when, um, when they won their ring. So Elgin never got to play that, get that ring. So they never want to chip together those three guys. So, um, but Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West, all in their primes. I take that as my as my big three because those are just three legends of the game. One of the best score, one of the best scoring guards of all time. Best best big man, talent wise in his prime. Um, and a guy a forward that changed the game pushing the pace. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I think my top three big three, because I can't decide, I like the Heat, uh, the Spurs, and the Celtics. And and by the Celtics, uh, with KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. Yeah. So, man, Magic and Kareem with, with James Worthy averaging 20 in there. <laughs> That's a hell of a big three. And also Not the old sure. big three Celtics. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Can't forget about Kobe, um, Shaq, and Robert Ory. It's a big three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or uh, Co- Kobe, Pow, and Metal World Peace. Or Kobe, Luke Walton, and Smush Parker. That's true. So I think we, uh, that was a great question, Noah. Uh, a little dive into NBA history. But I think our general consensus is we have no fucking idea. Because all, all, all these big threes were great. But I think that was heels, man. I would have loved to see like a best of seven, seven. Um, I know. I mean, I keep saying I want to see it, but we saw it. But they were they were older. Though the Heat in that 2012 season were in their kind of in their prime together as a team. So I don't know. Yeah. I think I take the Heat because they had uh, so many good veterans. I mean, they had Mike Miller. You know, you just had Ray Allen. You had. Uh, I mean, you had the Birdman. Shane Battier, 
Um, I'm not going to mention Joel Anthony, but Mario Chalmers, Norris Cole, they had a deep team. So. <laughs> Norris Cole. Norris Cole. Um, the high top legend. Uh, yeah, next question we have from uh, David Dunn 21 on Twitter. Uh, Thanasis' playing time was in the fine print of Giannis's deal. I know that's not a question, but still. <laughs> it's not a question to be answered on the next episode of Tony World Presents, the number one rated Milwaukee Bucks podcast for the coveted conspiracy demographic. Uh, shout out to David Dunn, 21, loyal listener, uh, loyal patron of the podcast. Uh, I was featured on his podcast, Tony World, uh, not too long ago uh, for an award show pod. Check that out. Um, I always love to hear your input. But, yes, Thanasis. Can we talk about Thanasis for a second? Uh, sure. Real quick? Will you indulge I just, me? I just want to, real quick, um, are we getting paid for this plug? Or is this... Um... This is uh, this is the the loyal listener fee, you know. Everybody's got to <laughs> get the plugs in. Sounds uh, good. Um, it's not my I, I think, habit. <laughs> I think you've been a Thanasis um, kind of hater, and for good reason. And I'm not, not, not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. I think you called this early on. Like, He's he doesn't fit. Player. He doesn't fit. He's, yeah. he's, not, he's not an NBA player. Um, yeah, uh, Bud has a weird obsession with Thanasis. He, you know, he brings raw energy that doesn't really translate into anything but. Um, usually racks up about three fouls in three minutes. Okay. Anytime he steps on the court. Um, occasionally he'll have like a, you know, wow, surprise me, Thanasis made that type of shot play. Uh, the rest of the time, he's turning the ball over, uh, throwing it, you know, into the grandstands five rows back. Um, <laughs> or LeBron's laughing his ass at him, his la- ass off at him for being a complete moron during a game. So, oh. um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Giannis waited a while to sign the Supermax, and it might have been the negotiations for Thanasis' minutes being worked into that deal uh, might have been why it went a little close to the deadline. Um, that's, a, that's a hot take coming from you I'm and not, David, but... I'm not uh, mad about it. I'm not mad about it. We get to keep Giannis. Uh, the price you have to pay is five turnovers it, a game. It's the price you pay, you know, five fouls in five minutes, you know? <laughs> Do what you can. Take what you can get. Do you think that, like, I don't know. Do you think the other players on the team are fists? Like, if this is actually a thing, do you think they're suspicious? Like, do you think, like, other players share you and your you and David's suspicion? Tori Craig tweeted uh, kind of like a cryptic emoji the other day after the Bucks lost. Uh, and he's been notably on the bench when he should probably be getting playing time. So, what was the emoji? Was it like a strike thing, or what was it like a? It was it was like a kind of like a kind of a surprised face type thing, or like kind of like a sarcastic thing. Oh. I don't know. I don't blame him. You know, he deserves to be getting minutes over Thanasis and Pat at the very mm. least, probably. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, 
he played in the Lakers game, which was kind of surprising because he didn't play in the Nets game. And I thought, you know, maybe Bud had learned something. Maybe he's like, oh, I'm just trying out the Nasus in games that don't really matter. But in the games against good teams, I'll, you know, start my tighter rotation to kind of get a better look at, like, mm. what that'll look like in the playoffs. Um but Thanasis got, I believe it was first quarter minutes against the Lakers. So, love to see that. Um, that's as much as I care to talk about Thanasis and Tanakupa on this podcast. Real quick, last question. Would you rather have Thanasis or Costas playing meaningful minutes? Because that, that's what you have. And I think there's a third one. Doesn't he have four brothers, three brothers? Yes. Well, he is. He is. Three brothers who play NBA basketball, and one brother who's like kind of like a half brother who plays soccer. Um, All right, so out of those remaining, who would you rather play instead of the Nassus? I'd rather have his youngest brother, Alex, who is not even oh. in the NBA yet. Um, <laughs> because I think anything at this point is a better alternative, and Alex has at least shown that he can be a shooter. Mm. Um, He's kind of like a shooting guard prospect. Ah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take my chances on Alex. Um, I've seen enough of Costas and Thanasis to last me a lifetime. Okay, last question. I, I'm sorry, this is too good. Would you is this if this is star treatment? Would you rather have this kind of star treatment, or would you rather have Giannis show up like 40 minutes late to plane rides and not practice like Kawhi did? So, what what line? <laughs> which which kind of star player would you like? Where he's just which one would you rather fall on? Costing your team wins because your brother wants to play with the, with the big boys, even though he's older than I think the chemistry is what keeps a small market together, so I'm going to go with this type. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to suck on the uh, 10 Thanasis minutes a game. Uh, yeah. Just grin and bear it. Uh, for the sake of not having a Clippers locker room, because the Bucks could not, uh, they could not deal with that. They'd be having, you know, small markets can't can't get away with that type of shit. So, if you guys I guess I'd rather have right this. I guess I'd yeah. rather have this. Okay, oh. you're smiling through the pain, buddy. That's good. Grimacing. Uh, uh, well, David, thanks for your question. And last, now, yeah. Last up uh, from Adam, what is up with the Western Conference? Why are the Nuggets and Mavs bad? Besides the Clippers, who has a realistic shot at beating the Lakers. Um, So the Nuggets, like we said, they have the fifth best net rating right now. Um, They've been kind of – they just kind of had a weird start. Michael Porter Jr. hasn't played a lot. Um, I think he's been injured. Yeah. and then the Mavs have had a lot of injuries as well. Um, basically, oh, yeah. half their roster has been injured for most of the season. They just got Kristaps back. Luka kind of had an underwhelming start to the season, kind of had a slow start. Maybe he's working himself back into shape. It's understandable with, like, zero training camp. Um, I think Nuggets and Mavs are both going to be, you know, pretty solidly in the playoff hunt by the end of the year. Not too worried about either of those teams. Um, as for who else has a shot at beating the Lakers other than the Clippers, I think the Mavericks still have a really good shot at it. Um, Mavericks gave the, uh, 
you know, they had quite the run in the playoffs. Um, I think that they're going to get better this year. They defensively have been better. Um, if their offense catches back up to where it was last year, uh, I think that they definitely have a good shot at beating either of the LA teams. So, yeah, uh, to answer Adam's question, um, thanks for your question, Adam. I think that um, who can challenge the Lakers, like Ben said, the Clippers. I think that's it's also the same as last year. Like we thought maybe the Rockets could challenge them, or um, we didn't really think anybody else could really challenge the Lakers except for maybe the Nuggets. But it was all like there's a bunch of solid teams who could maybe challenge the Lakers. But the way LeBron is playing right now, and AD is isn't even playing like 100%. He's just kind of going through. It's kind of like what Shaq would do is let let Kobe let Kobe, Kobe take him to the regular season because they don't really need him. And let, let Shaq average like 40 and, and 20 in the finals and they'll get a chip. But, you know, right now this team doesn't even need AD to win. They got Dennis Schroeder's playing really solidly. You got Montrezl. You got LeBron playing the MVP level. So and even LeBron's not playing his best. So Lakers haven't even reached their peak form. Um, I think the Lakers are unquestion, unquestionably going to be representing the Western Conference in the finals. But maybe the – I don't know. I, I like to think that, like you said, Ben, the, the Nuggets and, and Mavs can get their groove back. Um, as far as that goes – there's just nobody who can challenge that beast of of uh, the Lakers. Shooter's playing really well, so Shooter's a tough a tough guard to, to match up against. You got LeBron on the wing, obviously LeBron playing. It's just the matchup nightmare, and also they're so good defensively. Caruso, such a good defender, underrated defender, and then KCP's hitting his shots at an insane clip this year. So the Lakers are the team to beat to win the title. Uh, it's just a bunch of solid, like all these all these teams from after the Clippers and Lakers, from the Jazz, all the way to let's say the Rockets, are are teams that you maybe not the Kings or the Thunder, but most of the teams in the West are just solid, average, averagely good teams that will play each other tough every night, but won't be too much of a challenge to the Lakers or Clips. So I think there is. Uh, there's definitely it's definitely top heavy in the West, but there's a lot of uh, solid mediocre teams that'll be fun to watch in the first couple rounds of the playoffs. But um, on no doubt, Lakers in the in the championship and in, in the yeah. finals. I mean, I'd agree they're the favorite. I do think the Mavericks have a good shot at uh, kind of upsetting either of those LA teams still though, because I think Porzingis definitely brings that defensive element too that they've been missing uh, so far this year. He's just getting back with them. And then, you know, you have Josh Richardson who can really play great defense on the perimeter matchup against the other team's best offensive wing um, or guard for that matter. Um, So I think that Mavericks have the best chance to upset, but again, the Lakers and Clippers definitely have the best chance in the West to represent. Um, well, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, everywhere in between, it's probably our longest podcast ever. Uh, coming on yeah. the, the the hour and a half mark here, and uh, for those of you who stayed till the end, 
glad to have you part of this. And um, we went a little long on the Brady, uh, as well as the airball and the grievances. So thank you for sticking with us if you're still here. Yeah. Um, you can find us at Backseat GM Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we roll out content there uh, as it comes. Uh, you can find us on Spotify and also Simplecast. Until next time, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Ben.